Welcome to the Health, Wealth, and Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Hagen, a nutrition coach, entrepreneur, food freedom expert, and forever a recovering disordered eater. I am here to help you own your enoughness, find your very own food freedom, and achieve your health and wellness goals in a way that gives more than it takes. Each week, I will provide you with insight and inspiration surrounding no-nonsense nutrition, mindset, motivation, body image, confidence, and other wellness wisdom. Welcome back to the show, my friend. I have to tell you, we have some really amazing guest interview episodes coming up on the calendar. So today, I decided I just want to chat with you. It's a solo episode today. And it is encouraged by a message that I recently received from a coaching client that got me thinking about what college taught me about nutrition. Now you might be thinking, college didn't teach me anything about nutrition, Nicole, but stay with me. Because this client, her message shared with me that she had received some awful news that one of her very best friends was recently diagnosed with cancer. It was unexpected and understandably, it's been devastating. And this client went on to say that as she works to process and support her friend, it's been so incredibly helpful to be able to go on autopilot with some of the things that helped her to function and feel good physically, like going for walks and maybe even working out to de-stress being able to eat prepared meals that are actually nourishing. She said, of course, I'm giving myself grace, but I'm genuinely so thankful for these habits that are helping me along. Now, what does that have to do with my college experience? (laughs) I'm about to tell you. But first, let me give you a little background information. In undergrad, I was studying health psychology, and my undergraduate thesis topic was on the eating behavior of college students. And I'm not gonna bore you with the details (laughs) of my undergraduate thesis, but I will tell you that the statistically significant finding of my research was that the biggest barrier to nutrition quality among college students is stress, namely, midterms and finals. All research participants, everybody that I was collecting grocery store receipts from demonstrated two very timely dips in their nutrition quality throughout the semester that perfectly coincided with midterms and finals weeks. So I want you to imagine a line graph because I made one, (laughs) if not several, to illustrate this point. And believe it or not, what I found throughout my research was that the nutrition quality of college students is fairly consistent. So it may not be the best. We're still having ramen noodles and pizza and beer on occasion, but this line graph demonstrated that there were not a lot of fluctuations in nutrition quality throughout the year, with the exception of two very drastic statistically significant drops in nutrition quality throughout the semester. You guessed it, it's when students were super stressed, studying for midterms, 
and finals. Now, flash forward a couple of years, I was getting my master's in nutrition, physical activity, and public health, and my graduate dissertation topic was on the eating behavior of older adults. I decided to go on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And the statistically significant finding of my dissertation was that the strongest influence on the eating behavior of older adults is childhood eating behavior. Despite the fact that all research participants had been alive and experienced decades of food marketing, the strongest influence that dictated how they ate as an older adult was how they learned to eat and what they were and weren't exposed to growing up. Now, you might be sitting there walking wherever you're at listening to this podcast thinking, that's great, Nicole, but what the hell does this have to do with me? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Here are my takeaways. Takeaway number one, you have to plan for and expect seasons of high stress. The notion that I'm going to do this diet perfectly is the biggest limiting belief you could possibly have. Because no, you're not. And you know what? It's not a moral failing that you can't eat or diet perfectly. It's just human nature. If your diet is predicated on perfect compliance or following all the food rules without slipping up or having a real life high stress moment, quit now and find something that doesn't feel like the exception to real life. I've shared this story before, but I think it's worth sharing again. Years ago now, 10 plus years ago, I worked as a personal trainer in a private fitness studio and I am so embarrassed to say that I used to lead Biggest Loser competitions at the time. I would have a cohort of clients who were busting their butt in and out of the gym and I was giving them nutrition advice and their goal was to lose as much weight as humanly possible in, I don't know what it was, eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, some arbitrary contest quantity of time. And they were wildly successful, but at the end of these eight, 10, 12 weeks, whatever it was, I would hear comments like, ugh, I can't wait to go home and just eat bread again. Oh, I can't wait till I can finally taste cake. I miss cake. And what I realized was that anybody can be, quote, successful at weight loss by following food rules for a short period of time. But I'm not doing them any benefit. They're not doing themselves any benefit by showing what they can achieve, what results they can produce with perfect compliance on a short-term intervention. It's just like the big, biggest loser competition that was that used to be on TV. Thank goodness it's not anymore. At least I don't think it is anymore. These participants would lose gobs and gobs of weight, but they weren't living real life. 
They were working out for endless hours a day. They had a dietitian that was giving them super low calorie meals, every meal and snack of the day. They are constantly being supervised. And I guess you could call it accountability, although a lot of it was just punishment, right? If they felt like they were hungry when they shouldn't have been, or they didn't want to work out when they should have. That's why all of the participants have gone on to gain weight, some of them more weight than they had started with to begin with, because it was an exception to real life. They didn't go about reaching their goals in a way that allows them to have curveballs and seasons of high stress. That's takeaway number one. You have to plan for and expect real life to happen because it's going to. And if your diet, and I mean that in terms of the, the noun, if like the way you eat diet doesn't allow for real life, bad days, moody weeks, <laughs> you need to make some changes. Takeaway number two, the best diet isn't one that you can adhere to when things are easy breezy, but one you can stick to even when shit hits the fan. This coincides with takeaway number one. But what I want you to understand here is that I'm not saying your consistency or your intensity won't dip during hard seasons. It for sure will. Just like this client who messaged me, her best this past week when she got devastating, heartbreaking news does not look like her best on a week where she feels like she's on top of the world and everything's going fairly well. But there's a difference between scaling back and throwing in the towel completely. And if you don't know how to do the former, you're doing it wrong. Adhering to a diet only when things are smooth sailing is like staying in a relationship only when it's good, parenting only when it's easy, or showing up to work only when you are having a great day. If you want to be successful, and have a confident relationship with food, something that doesn't feel like you're constantly hopping on and falling off of a wagon, you have to learn how to stick things out through the hard, sucky seasons. And nutrition isn't the exception to that rule. You have to master the boring basics of nutrition that don't feel super sexy or super shiny, but they can be sustained even when life is hard and stressful. And takeaway number three, what you teach and expose your children to will likely stay with them for life. So be super cognizant of what you're modeling. And no, it's not too late for you because you grew up with shitty role models who put you on Weight Watchers at age 13 or taught you that Slim Fast was an acceptable meal replacement shake. It just means you have a lot of unlearning and relearning to do. It means that you're not allowed to compare your journey to someone else's because maybe they had a great role model growing up. And it means that the work you're doing now to ensure that the trend and the trauma that you grew up with doesn't continue is priceless. I'm sure there are many other takeaways that we could glean from the research that I conducted. But these are the three that stand out to me. And I wanted to share them with you because if there's one constant in life, it's that there will always be a curveball. 
plan for and expect seasons of high stress. And make sure that your diet, the noun, (laughs) allows for stress to happen without you falling off the wagon. If you can't stick with your healthy habits, even a more basic form of the healthy habit. I don't mean that you have to be logging your food and tracking the number of grams of protein or grams of fiber that you're consuming every day. I don't mean that you need to be logging your hunger on a hunger scale before and after every meal. I'm talking about boiled down basics of those eating skills. Do you know when you're hungry? Are you choosing non-food-related coping mechanisms when you're not hungry, but you know you're stressed? Are you eating protein? Are you prioritizing vegetables when you can? Or are you thinking, well, I can't do it perfectly because life is really stressful right now, so whatever, I might as well eat that bowl of cereal or order the pizza or whatever it may be. And last but not least, I know this work is hard, I know it takes time and I know results don't happen as quickly as we might want for them to, but this is work that matters. You are changing not only your relationship with food because of doing this work, you're changing the relationships with food your children or the people who are around you will have because of your influence and the model that you're setting. I'm proud of you. I know a lot of you listening are already doing these things. Maybe you're a one-on-one coaching client. Maybe you've been listening to the podcast for years, which by the way, I, I can't even begin to express how much I appreciate you. And so if that's the case, if you feel like you are doing this, your nutrition strategy does work for you long-term and it does account for seasons of stress and you've learned how to scale back to the boring basics when shit's hitting the fan and you're setting a great example for yourself and for the people that you love. I don't know if anyone's told you lately, but you're doing a great job. And the work that you're doing is so freaking important. And if you're not yet at a place where you're doing this work, that's okay. We all have to start somewhere. I want to invite you to reach out for help if you feel like that's what you need to get to this place. But more than anything, I want to encourage you to keep going because life is hard and stress happens and we all mess up. Maybe it takes you a few dozen tries to figure it out and that's okay. Keep going. You're exactly where you're meant to be. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Health, Wealth, and Wisdom Podcast. If you like what you heard today, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and then head on over to nutritioncoachingwithnicole.com where you can sign up for my weekly emails where I send out my favorite tips, tricks, advice, and support every single Monday morning to help you kick your week off right. Thanks for listening. Until next time.